0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is, a, this is spoken to an apostate Israel who had turned from God, had followed other gods, and he's basically saying, do all the rituals you want to. I'm not listening. You don't belong to me. You're not mine. You're not true Israel. You don't have the circumcision of the heart. So not everybody's prayers get heard. Pop, I know that goes against some of the popular pop teaching of our time, but that's just the fact. I can see
0: the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry
1: The anthem for all my life Every dragon will fall
0: The mountains will move Every chain of the past Broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing
1: the truth that nothing is impossible with you.
0: Oh, nothing is impossible. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can pray to you, Lord. Prayer is a privilege, Lord, not a right. It's something that is a gift to us and a gift that we should make the most of. Lord, help us to be people of prayer, Father, people of the church, Father, people of the book. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I have certain warning signs when I'm uh, trying to do too much or not keeping things in balance. If I work too much or I'm going too many directions at once, one of the first signs that I'm about to sort of crash is my eyes start stinging. And that tells me that I need sleep, that I need rest. And then I begin to get a little grumpy, you know. I'm sure it's hard to imagine, but it's more than theoretical, I assure you. And in the same way, Christians have metrics like that Our Christian walk is like a three-legged stool. We have the Word of God to instruct us. We have the people of God, the church, to encourage us, who we minister alongside of. And we have prayer. And if we neglect any one of those three things, that stool, that three-legged stool, becomes wobbly. And two of the most often neglected things are prayer and the reading of God's Word. And today we're going to talk about prayer because prayer is fundamental to your spiritual growth. Prayer is fundamental to your spiritual well, 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 uh, well-being. And prayer is contact with God. You know, we think about it. When Moses would go to the tent of meeting, he would come out and his face would be shining. His countenance would be changed. And at one point, he had to put a veil over his face because he was scaring the... Uh, people of Israel with his appearance he was radically changed and transformed and I would submit to you that when we pray and that when we for lack of a better descriptive term rub shoulders or elbows with God metaphorically speaking it does not leave us the same and when we neglect prayer just like some people when they neglect sleep or rest it begins to show tangibly in our lives And so today I want to talk to you about prayer. As you know, we were in Matthew 6 last week, and we did a helicopter flyover of Matthew chapter 6 and and worship. And I promised you that we would come back in and swoop down for a closer look. And one of the primary aspects of worship is prayer. And so today we're going to begin a two-part series within our larger series on prayer. Part one are some of the basic facts about prayer. And part two will be, next week, some of the basic principles about prayer. And the passage that we're going to look to is the passage that we've been in, Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and verses 5 through 13. And, And we're going to learn some of the basic facts about prayer. Now you're saying, well, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you know. It amazes me that every time I re-examine a topic as I study it as a pastor or a subject or a passage, I see something new every time. And sometimes we have to be reminded what we already know is true. It's sort of like you know continuing education when you've got a real estate board or some sort of some sort of board exam you have to pass. Well, this certainly isn't an exam, but it is good to have a refresher every now and then. So let's look in our Bibles at Matthew chapter six, verse one, and then verses five through. Thirteen, as we consider the matter of prayer. And it begins this way. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. Then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Some translations say, pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we also are forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, Today we're going to talk about the first half of what I read, uh, verses uh, 5 through 8, and understand some of the basic facts about prayer. As I was preparing for this message, I thought, well, you know, I'll look up some definitions of prayer, and I went to various and sundry sources, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible uh, by Walter Elwell and uh, Barry Beetzel, and it defines prayer as the intentional communication with God that can be spoken or written. It is often petitionary in nature, though it may take other forms. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament assume that God hears and responds to the prayers of His people. I like that last part. God hears and responds to the prayers of who? His people. That works. Another definition, which I found sort of interesting and it's somewhat amusing, was from the uh, Lexham Theological Workbook. And it says this. Prayer in its broadest sense is communication with God. Prayer is both a linguistic... And gestural construal of fundamental realities that define the relationship with God well that's a mouthful right there I don't know about you Uh, it's also a mindful and uh, I'm not as crazy about that one I'm sure I'm sure they meant well Uh, the next one comes from an old reliable document called the Westminster confession of faith the shorter catechism you may know the first question what is the end of man what is the purpose of man what is the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and they define prayer this way Christian prayer is the end product of, a, excuse me, Christian prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Nothing like an old classic. That's like an old Chevy. It's always reliable, right? Then we come to Wayne Grudem's uh, introduction to systematic theology. And he's really, this is, um, you, you might not try to write this down because it's a long one. Prayer is communication with God. I like that one. You know, Grudem gets a lot right. His whole miracle thing and some of his other things are a little off. His understanding of the roles of men and women in the church, spot on. And this definition of prayer is spot on. Here's my definition of prayer. It, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. That's what it is. It's you and the Almighty together. Now, sometimes we do it as a church family, but more often than not, we do it individually. And what I'd like to do today is just give you some basic facts about prayer and then we'll get into the heart of the message. One of the things we always need to remember about prayer, and I said it earlier, is prayer is a privilege. Not everybody's prayers get heard. You know, that in the Westminster Confession, picked it up and some others too. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, He does not listen to your prayers. Uh, if you're not born again, He does not regard your prayers. Where does it say that? One of the places it says that is Isaiah 1:15. In Isaiah 115, we see this. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is, a, this is spoken to an apostate Israel who had turned from God, had followed other gods. And he's basically saying, do all the rituals you want to. I'm not listening. You don't belong to me. You're not mine. You're not true Israel. You don't have the circumcision of the heart. So not everybody's prayers get heard. Pop, I know that goes against some of the popular pop teaching of our time but that's just the fact prayer another thing we need to understand about prayer is prayer is for those who trust in him where do we see that we see that in psalm 145 18 and 19 the lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth he fulfills the desire of those who fear him he also hears their cry and saves them so someone cries out to him for salvation he hears he answers but some, something roughly akin to a foxhole confession, you know, if you get me out of this jam, I promise to go to church every Sunday, is probably falling, metaphorically speaking, on deaf ears because he only chooses to listen to the prayers of those who love him, who are his children. And the good news is, is that God answers the prayers of his children. First John five fourteen and fifteen says this, and this is the confidence. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whenever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You know, if I could say to God, you know, God, I want, I want my bald spot to grow over with a big bushy head of hair. That's not necessarily in his will. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you because I've been at this for a while now and it's still not growing. But truth, truthfully, you know, when we, anything we ask according to his will, he hears and he answers. He listens to the prayers of his children. Now, a lot of times we find ourselves getting discouraged because we think if, if the answer isn't yes, that our prayer hasn't been answered. But there are three answers to prayer. There's yes, there's no, because father knows best, and there's wait. And a lot of times we're like, well, I've been asking for this and God just isn't listening. Well, we forget that he's not our servant. We're his servant, right? He's not there like a bellboy in a hotel. You ring the bell and he comes a-running. He, he is our Father in heaven. He knows what we need before we ask. And he only gives us what is right for us. And he says no to the requests that aren't right, that don't fit into his sovereign plan. And he says wait sometimes when we're in the middle of a trial and he's teaching us to trust and rely upon his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his providence. Where do we see this in the text of Scripture? Well, Noah's an answer. You see that in Second Corinthians twelve, seven through nine. Noah's an answer to prayer. Paul, writing to the unruly and reckless church at Corinth, says talks about this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul had seen many great things and many great visions. He was caught up into heaven at one point. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may, be, may rest upon me. Wait is an answer. Where do we see that? One of the more interesting places is in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, and 11 and 12. Daniel is interceding for the deliverance, for the consolation of Israel. And he'd realized that the 70 years of exile were coming to an end. And he writes, In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. He fasted. No meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. And then this angel appears to him. Listen what the angel says. And he said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, And stand upright, for I now have been sent to you. And when he had spoken the word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, "Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." Now, in this case, it was just three short weeks, but I'm sure to Daniel it seemed like a long time. The bottom line was, God heard his heard; he was going to answer. He was going to answer yes, but there were three weeks in between. Now, there were some other complications there with the Prince of Persia and things like this. But sometimes we have to wait on an answer for prayer. Every day, I pray for the complete and total healing of my oldest daughter. Yes, no, wait. We're waiting to see what the answer is. Could be wait, could be no. You know, but God's plan and will is perfect. And then sometimes the answer is no, like we saw now, people also don't know sometimes and want to say, well, and I've been asked this, well, when I pray, what's the best way to do this? Should I stand? Just what? And I have a list of kind of the posture and places of praying here. You know, the good thing about praying is there is a right way and a wrong way to do it, but you can do it anywhere, any place, anyhow. You can stand like the tax collector stood in the, in, with, uh, next to the Pharisee, in the synagogue and said lord have mercy on me a sinner you can kneel you can lay down you can look up you can look down you can pray in a synagogue a temple or a church moreover you can pray at home or in your bedroom or in prison how about how about paul praying in prison by rivers by the sea like moses at a tomb like jesus in john 11 on the cross as our savior did and even in the belly of a fish like jonah did and jonah kind of reminds me you know when that fish is going like this you know Jonah probably prayed in every one of the positions that we just listed and he didn't just pray at sea he prayed under the sea you know and there was no little mermaid involved in that there was just Jonah and God and some people say well how do, what's the best way to pray we come back means and methods of prayer we have a little list here you can pray silently you can pray audibly you can pl- pray in a whisper and you can write your prayers down I think of Samuel's mother praying and her lips were moving but nothing was overheard and you know they thought she was drunk but she was just praying quietly you know uh, Jesus breaking the bread prayed out loud David liked to write his prayers down and we have the Psalms as a result and I have to tell you there are times when I'm praying for you and my family and our country and this world And you look at everything going on and everything else and sometimes your mind gets tied up in a square knot or a Gordian knot and you don't think you can untie it and I can't concentrate so I just take out a piece of paper and I write a letter to God I make sure I tear it up because with all the problems I know about I don't want this falling into enemy hands but you know you know what stays in vain you know anyway so anyway but the bottom line is this no matter how you do it no matter how you stand whether it's loud or soft or whatever else prayer is talking to God it's communicating to God and you see this clearly in the teachings of Jesus in Matthew, 9, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Look at Let's just look at that. Quick. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, tr- tresp- our debts as we for- have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. There's a thee and thou, a me and you, a a we and you component here. This is an address to God. Even Paul, again, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9, three times I pleaded, I pleaded with the Lord, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, I want to modify that definition. Prayer is an intimate conversation with God because I'm sure Paul, when it says he pleaded, and sometimes you've pleaded for prodigals or people who were hurt or situations and circumstances and you've poured out your heart to God. It's a personal, intimate conversation with God. And you really see that with Paul. Here he's got the, all the pressures that he faces and the concerns about the church. And he's got this thorn in his flesh and in his strength he knows he can't handle it. And he's pouring out his heart to God. Prayer is an intimate is talking to God in an intimate, personal way. And picking up that intimate theme, I want to add this to it. Let's add to our understanding. Prayer is an expression of your sincere desire to build your intimate relationship with God. You see, this intimacy, this developing, blossoming, continuing closeness takes place through prayer. Again, Psalm 145, 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on Him to those who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves him. You know, the gods of the pagans are far off and unknowable, but our God is close up and personal. He lets us understand how he thinks, what he wants for us through his word. God speaks to us through his word, and we speak back to him through prayer. And prayer pleases God. Where do we see this? We see this in First Thessalonians five sixteen and 18, through 18. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. There's a good habit. Pray habitually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. God wants us to pray. He wants us to reach out to Him. He wants us to connect to Him. He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to talk with Him. He wants greater intimacy with you and me, with us. God wants us to pray. He doesn't need our prayers Prayer never changes God's mind. Can you imagine 100 people over here praying for this and 50 people over here praying for that and 10,000 people over here praying for that and God going, well, I was going to do this, but these guys outvoted these guys and these guys, it doesn't work that way. And that's sort of the background I wanted to give you on prayer. And now I want us to look at Matthew 6, 5 through 13 and I want you to draw... I want, you, I want us to draw three conclusions regarding our approach to prayer, regarding our understanding of prayer, that we might prepare, be prepared to take our prayer lives to a higher level, that we might pre- be prepared to look at our approach to prayer and grow. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that, and I'm not comparing us to reptiles, reptiles grow until they die. I'm not, you might think I look like a lizard, but that's not what I'm talking about here. And, you know, some of these trees, I think it's sequoias, grow until they die, and Christians are to grow until they die. So let's draw three conclusions from our text in Matthew 6, 1, 5 through 13, so that we can continue to grow in Christ and in our intimacy with Christ and in our prayer life, so that we can be used and useful to him. And the first conclusion I'd like you to draw, and it's pretty simple, it's probably review for many people here, is that there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. There is a right way and a wrong way to pray. You know, and this is true of every important thing in life. There's a right way to do something and a wrong way to do it. There's a right way to change a tire and a wrong way to change a tire. And there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. Where do we see that? We see that in Matthew 6, 1 and 5. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If you're praying for anyone or anybody else, I don't mean interceding, but I mean, if you're putting on a show, that's the wrong way to pray. If you're adapting some sort of pagan prayer practice, because it, it looks intriguing or exciting and new or whatever else and you're thinking well I can pray like them Hey, they pray this way that's what Israel said about the Canaanites and it got him into a world of trouble developing a healthy prayer relationship with God requires our sincerity and our heads and our hearts a relationship must be based on truth a relationship with God makes him the focus of our lives him the center of our concern not impressing other people and part of this is realizing There's a right way and a wrong way to pray. You see, it's not even the quantity of our prayers that matter. It's the quality. Now, let me be careful here. I'm not saying, well, as long as, you know, it's kind of like this myth of parenting where you have quality time and quantity time. Well, I don't have much time to spend with my kids, but I spend quality time with them. And that's a recipe for disaster. If I feed my daughter one ounce of steak a week, and one ounce of water a week, no matter how good an age that steak is, no matter how pure that water is, she's going to die of thirst and she's going to starve. You can't have quality time without quantity time.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org, where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again right here next time on Grace to Live. But until then...
1: Hello everyone. This is Keith Crosby from Hillside Church and Grace to Live. I wanted to invite you to an online conference that we're holding on successive Wednesdays beginning September 16th at 7 p.m. We have Vodi Bacham and Neil Shinby talking about the road from race to reconciliation. you probably heard terms like woke and critical theory and you're wondering where does this all fit into the Bible? Come to our website at hillside.org, click on the button, register, and find out. Can't wait to see you there.